I feel like most people are not actively ableist. They see a lot of imaging and then they start to form habits based on those like subconscious thoughts. And that becomes who you are. And then now you have people who are not necessarily consciously ableist, consciously any of these, you know, isms, but they're starting to perpetuate behavior. And welcome to Yes, We Exist, the podcast. We are partnering with the University of Maryland student-led disability justice collective, DICE, or Disability Identity, Culture, and Education Club. The club is made up of disabled students and allies who talk about disability topics, advocate for change, as well as forming a community around the identity. We will be interviewing members of DICE as well as other students on campus who will talk about their experiences trying to attend a largely inaccessible campus. We're going to be talking a lot about disability identity, culture, and politics, as well as how our different identities intersect and really affect our lived experiences and things like that. And, I, you know, I've actually been listening to this podcast recently called We're Having Gay Sex by Ashley Gavin. I really like the way that she does her intros because she focuses on the identity of the people that she's talking to. And I think that'll help people get an idea of like who we are and like where we're coming from each episode, as well as help our guests be able to introduce themselves in the way they want. So I'm going to start and then you can sort of copy the format or like just say whatever you want to introduce yourself. Absolutely. Um, and that'll work. All right. So I'm Maya Lee. I am a cis bisexual white woman. I use she, her pronouns. I'm a graphic design student and I identify as a person who lives with mental illness, specifically general anxiety disorder. I am joined here today by my co-host and current president of DICE, Khalif Riley. Hello, my name is Khalif Riley. I am from Georgia originally. I identify as a Black American and I'm also hard of hearing. Khalif, you had the original idea for this podcast. So could you tell me a little bit about like what you were thinking when you pitched it? My goal is to empower the voices and the narratives of people with disabilities, because what often you see is that there's other people taking control of our narrative as people with disabilities. So it's important for us to give voices to people who have disabilities and also like just like expanding what disabilities are because there's also this kind of like gatekeeping when it comes to certain identities mm. like oh you're not this enough you're not that enough so it's just like we are here to just give the power back to people to be like this is who i am you can't tell me that i'm not this or this or that because this is my lived experience like you cannot you know just tear down my lived experience so yeah, i really want to empower people to be able to take that back so like i would like to ask you how would you define disability if someone says, I am disabled, right? That's who they are. That's part of their identity. But when you're looking at disability, I think there's also a lot, a large group of people who don't necessarily identify as having a disability, whether it's because of the stigma against disabilities or they personally don't feel that whatever they're going through is disabling in their life or puts them in a category as disabled. So I think that there's definitely a wide range of basically like physical, mental, and emotional differences that people have and neurological as well that like, you know, is that whole spectrum. But I think, I think that's where I would come from. How, like, what do you, what do you think? Well, that's also interesting because there's like a lot of invisible disabilities as well, because it's a lot of also like what you can and can't see. So for me, it's really based on the person and like, what do they define as that? Because 
for each person is going to be different. And essentially for me, what I would say is it's it's something that kind of just makes it a little bit harder for you to reach certain everyday goals in your life. So like for me as a person who's hard of hearing, you know, that means um, I have to do certain things differently than other people in order to hear. So like that specific experience is going to be a little different for me. So like for somebody else, you know, mental health might be one thing for them. So like what is a normal conversation for one person might be different for somebody with, say, for instance, social anxiety. Yeah. So it's just a matter of like, what is going to be easier for one person versus being more of a challenge for somebody else and something that could like possibly be considered normal to one person and different for another person. Would you say that people who maybe consider themselves able-bodied or maybe like they have a physical disability but they don't have a neurological disability, what would you say is like kind of like the number one way to like interact with people who have different needs and like physical and mental needs and things like that. So the biggest thing is just treating them like a normal human being because they are a normal human being. Because the yeah. thing that I notice is like a lot of people automatically assume that you have to treat them differently. The thing is just have conversations with them, normal conversations. And if you have a genuine question, you know, there are specific ways to ask them where you're going to still, you know, maintain your respect for them. So it's really just about like gauging the situation and saying, hmm, is it appropriate for me to ask them this question right now? Should I wait? You know, it's, it's all about just you know feeling the situation out because you know we're all just normal human beings we just have our differences you know we just have different ways that our brains work different ways that our bodies work so you know we shouldn't be making other people feel different because there's something different about all of us yeah absolutely i think there's definitely a line with that though of like understanding that there are some differences and that's why like people have different needs and need like access and things like ads and different accommodations and stuff like that and being like oh you're just a human being like please treat people with respect which is kind of harder for some people than you might expect just in general to be respectful to people of their identities even like lgbtq stuff right like you're hearing like oh yeah it's passing the house but then like there's also like my hometown just passed a pride flag ban a um pride flag ban yeah well it's not specific it was in response to pride flags being handed out in schools it was just like a mess i don't know but basically they banned like all flags like you can't have any flags except for like the american flag or like it was just the stupidest thing ever but like i don't know seeing how it's one of those things where like the the reason that they gave for that flag ban was we're all the same and so you shouldn't need that flag because like everybody should be treated equally and with respect so we shouldn't be having like these political messages in schools but the thing is people live in this world that we yeah. don't live in yet i want exactly. i want you to hear that like people live in this world that we do not live in yet people say like for instance when it comes to the race thing they're like oh you know i don't see color we don't live in a world where you can say that yet you have to do the work in order for us to live in that world where you can genuinely say you know what you're saying and actually mean it by you know a lived experience of people like okay yeah mm -hmm. i can say that you know that is true because that's like lived experience that what you're saying is actually true like if you just look at what's going on in our world you can see that like these are still issues so you can't just say, like dismiss it or say oh you know we're, we're all okay well do the work for people to feel normal do the work yeah absolutely and then like when it comes to disability like everybody just has different access needs it's an idea that's heavily employed by sins of valid they are a performing arts group that is led by disabled artists and activists. They talk about access needs in general and how like being accepting of just that, like being accepting and also like upfront 
being like, hey, like, what are your needs? Like, how can I best interact with you? Like, how can I best serve you or help you, you know, feel comfortable in the situation? The group is run by disabled performers and artists as well. So like they, you know, they have that lived experience of like having maybe different needs from what's considered the norm. But so like even just in everyday life, I think having that concept of like people are just going to have different needs. Like that's never with something like LGBTQ equity. Like I hope one day that it's just like normalized. But in the same way, I think that and like like being like, oh, well, we don't need flags because like, I guess maybe I don't know. I don't see what's so wrong about a rainbow flag. <laughs> but that's my own personal political opinion, apparently. But that's like also the issue yeah. about like the politicizing of people's identities. Like yeah. there's so much political like uh, ramifications about like just being who you are. And a lot of these like situations are literally just children living their lives and then they come in with the politics surrounding it. So like you're saying with them saying something about the, the pride flag, that's literally just like the children are literally just being themselves and like expressing themselves through a way that they are comfortable with and then we're politicizing it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it makes you feel like different and weird and like kind of like you're talking about, like basically like you're not a normal human, that there's like something wrong with you and that like needs to be suppressed so that everybody else feels more comfortable. Exactly. But I, I am curious. So you said you have been hard of hearing since you were a child. Could you talk a little bit about like your experiences growing up? Yeah, so I actually was not born hard of hearing, so it happened over time. So that is the reason why I am not mute. But um, just growing up, hard of hearing was just very. It was just. It just very. It was just very othering. Like I often, when I was like talking to other children, it was difficult for me to make new friends. It was difficult for me to be a part of the conversation. I had to sit in the front of the class. So that was even kind of embarrassing sometimes. Like I literally had to sit in the front of the class when I'd rather be with other groups of you know children. And this one time when I was in elementary school, I was minding my own business. And this kid, he just comes up to me. I'm minding my own business, we're in class. And he's just like, oh, what's that in your ear? And I'm like, it's a hearing aid. And he's like, ew. And then later on in middle school, I was in the bathroom minding my business again. And then this kid comes up to me and he's just like, oh, let me borrow your hearing aid. Sometimes it, I would just like very, it would just make me sad because I never saw other children like me. And so how we were talking about the intersectionality as well, it's just like also with age, you know, it's also you have this stigma to certain disabilities, like you're going to assume that someone who's hard of hearing is going to be older. So when you have this child who's hard of hearing, you know, where does he fit in? You know what I'm saying? Like where, where does he fit in? Because there's no other children like him. Or if yeah. there is, you know, it's at another school, it's somewhere else, or it's in another part of the school, you're never really going to probably find them or see them and connect with them unless it's like a club or something like that. And so... In the beginning, I was kind of like very self-conscious about wearing my hearing aid, especially because when I first had a hearing aid, it was large. That's the reason why mm -hmm. like the kid in elementary school was like, oh, what's that in your ear? And then I was like, it's a hearing aid. And he's like, ew, because it was so large. And mm -hmm. that made me feel so self-conscious at that time. And like, if I would have had the, like the guts now, I would have told him something <laughs> like mm -hmm. really, I would have told him off so, so good. Mm -hmm. But um, just looking back at that and then seeing my growth, because over time I stopped caring, even though my hearing aid started getting smaller as time went on I stopped caring I was like hey I have to hear you got to see because people don't have that same stigma for like people who um you know wear glasses or braces now yeah. that's now it's cute now it's cute oh she got yeah, braces she cute oh she got glasses she cute but oh you have a hearing aid what's wrong with you no 
you know, we all have to use these tools in order to maneuver through life. So you have to use your glasses in order to see. I have to use my hearing aids in order to hear. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's very important to like, you know, tell children early on because they're going to think something's wrong with them. Because one of the things my grandmother always said was that children are cruel. Yeah, and it's, it's so true. Oh, my gosh. I worked at summer camp. Oh, <laughs> they're brutally honest. Mm -hmm. And even to the point where like the honesty is like not always coming from a bad place, but everything has like every action has consequences so mm -hmm. like you know those consequences are going to be other children that are affected by that they're going to you know grow up thinking that something's wrong with them when all these other children are treating them like they're an alien you know what i mean yeah absolutely so do you think there's ways that like schools can intervene with that sort of thing because that sounds like something that kids should not have to be like you shouldn't have to be as a six-year-old right you know educating your fellow six-year-olds as to how to properly like you know, talk to other human beings? Do you have, like, I don't know. I'm just curious. That, that's actually a very good question because I think that there should be some kind of, like, class, not necessarily class, or just, like, a portion of the class, you know, in, like, elementary school and, like, kindergarten where you kind of just, like, have, you know, teachers teaching children, like, the language for people with disabilities because, mm -hmm. you know, you're going to see children in class, you know, who are in wheelchairs, who are wearing glasses, who are wearing hearing aids, who have who have autism, who have all these different things. And I think that it's important to start giving children the language early on to understand their peers. Because when you don't understand something, that's often when, you know, the 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 fear that you have for it makes you act out in this very rude and like destructive way. I just believe that it's important to you know, provide children with those pieces of language early on so that they can understand their peers, so that they can, you know, understand that they're, they're going to be people that are different than them. And that's okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I think that concept that you brought up of fear in general of like when you see something different, like just fearing it instantly, I think that's something that like that perpetuates through adulthood. Like people have, you know, that's it's like the ignorance perpetuates fear perpetuates hate perpetuates ignorance like that cycle of like you know that's how i guess people you know go through and like don't treat people properly this kind of thing people think that oh that's like a children's thing like oh you're ignorant you're gonna do these kinds of things when you're young and then i work at dollar tree now mm -hmm. and there's literally customers that come in i ask them to repeat themselves and like oh what you can't hear and then I was like, yeah, I'm actually yeah, hard actually, of hearing. Um, sorry. <laughs> and they're like, oh, mm -hmm. what? And I'm just like, so mm -hmm. even though like it does like affect you at different ages differently, there's still like, there's still this big like ignorance no matter what age, you know, people are is what I've noticed. Because like mm -hmm. even just like other interactions that I've had as, as an adult are just very disheartening. Because I feel like I remember like, you know, like we would learn about like disability in class, but it was never like, like this is how you should like talk to someone who's in like another kid or it was always like treat everyone equally and then you're like well but they have something different so like what am i you know like what do they do so yeah i think, I think it's like a great. conversation of like equity versus equality because some people mm -hmm. need something different than other people and i think yeah that is also like an unfair rhetoric of just like treat everyone equal it's hey let me ask you what do you need from me let me ask you what is your experience you know, yeah. how can I make you feel more comfortable? But also, it's also like letting people also tell you as well. Like, because I don't know if you ever noticed some of the like pandering that people do to um, certain 
ostracized identities it's just like mm -hmm. the um the pandering like oh let me help you you know oh, like when yeah. people are you know in a wheelchair so like let people correct you and when they are correcting you you know receive it yeah. and change it don't like and th there's going to be some times where you're going to be like yeah i can ask them right now it's appropriate but also realize sometimes it's maybe not appropriate mm -hmm. sometimes maybe just like talk to them if they are yeah. uncomfortable about something they'll tell you mm -hmm. but again it's just thinking rationally if i was this person what would i want somebody to say to me in this situation but i want somebody to make me feel different right now or what i want them to just you know treat me like you know I'm, we're just human beings talking or having a conversation yeah i also do i do wonder like even that concept of fear itself i know a lot of people have a fear themselves of becoming disabled there's like it, it, you know it's that like fear of like oh if i become disabled then i will be treated differently or that like then that means there's something wrong with me and i wonder if like some of that also plays into how they treat you know other people with with disabilities or when it's a visible disability they see something that could be a potential like a fear of theirs and their fear is driving that like rudeness it, it it boils down to like being comfortable in your body i think yeah definitely. because because at the end of the day you never know what's going to happen to you it's a matter of like knowing that if something happens to me i have to be able to adjust i have to be able to find a new level of comfort so you have to be able to say if i do become disabled at some point you know then I'm going to deal with it then. I feel like most people are not actively ableist, not actively racist, not actively sexist or homophobic. What it is is that they see a lot of imaging and then they internalize it. It gets pushed to their subconscious. And then what happens is as, you know, like certain things happen, then they start to form habits based on those like subconscious thoughts and those subconscious Definitely. thoughts start coming to the forefront. Then as those actions start building up, when you continue to do something, it becomes a habit. And then once those habits start to continue to you know grow and grow, then that becomes who you are. And then now you have people who are not necessarily consciously able as consciously any of these you know isms, but they're starting to perpetuate behavior that is very mm -hmm. negative because of these you know things that they've seen. I mean, just think about the ways that sometimes you see people of color portrayed in the media, people with disabilities portrayed in the media. These are very important influences on the way that we view people. People Absolutely. don't want to admit it, but it is because we consume so much media. Yeah, no, definitely. I got like really like wrapped up in what you said about like things that we can't control. And then like my brain got stuck there <laughs> because my therapist has been trying to convince me of that for like years. And like, that's where I'm currently at right now, like trying to learn to live in my own brain and body. And it's just so frustrating. You wanna talk more uh, about that? Like, can you expand on what you mean by that a little bit? Yeah, sure. I, you know, have generalized anxiety, which I think like, I don't, I don't know if I can say like everyone has it, but it's one of those things where it's like, I think a lot of people in our generation are like, we went through a crazy traumatic experience. For me, um, it also is a genetic thing. It runs in my family. And I never realized that I had any sort of mental illness before. It's actually one of the reasons I, I think, this is one, I don't know, sometimes I come up with why I didn't realize I was queer until I was 20. But like one of them is that like all of my gay friends were depressed and I was like, well, I'm not depressed, so I must not be gay. Like, I, like that was literally- <laughs> Like association. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. There's lots of reasons why, you know, society led me, I think, to not realized that I loved women until I was older. But, you know, in part of that, like I, when I was a kid, I was like relatively like happy and also really high performing. I would like, I just did super well in my classes. I was like always really prepared for stuff. I was really great at things that I did. But within that, I think 
I was driven partly by my anxiety. For me personally, my mental illness contributes to my success in the eyes of capitalist society. So like mm. for me, my anxiety, like it's, 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 I guess like the way it's been explained to me as anxiety working is that like your brain goes into like fight, flight or freeze mode where it's like, you know, like as if you were like being chased by a bear. For me, I guess what happens is fight. So my brain turns on and it moves at like three times speed. So I do really well at tests. My grades are always really high. I am, you know, like doing all these things. I have like all these after school activities. And so like, I guess myself, like I've never felt disabled by that aspect of who I am because mm. I've been so successful but I'm also miserable. Like for me, my anxiety really affects my quality of life. The pandemic started when I was a freshman in college. So I was doing the college thing. I was going to parties. I was doing band. I was living it up, you know, you know, still having anxiety and like doing ridiculously well on tests for no reason. Right. And like, you know, killing myself over my classes. So maybe I would have ended up here anyway. I don't know. <laughs> but it definitely got expedited as I was sent home and my whole life was torn apart. And I was suddenly taking my college, I'm an art student. So I was taking my studio classes in my bedroom with like white carpet. Misery. And I was getting, yeah, I was kidding. <laughs> I was getting like chalk pastel all over the carpet. My mom was like mad at me. And so I was like, also like with my parents again, who I hadn't like seen in a while. And I love my parents. You're super great. But it's just a lot. And I think that like, it instigated, you know, that fear of like, holy shit, things can change at any point and you can't control it. Absolutely. Which then like spiraled into, you know, the past couple of years. So that, I mean, I guess that was a couple of years ago now, which is wild. But I, since then, have started going to therapy when I finally realized that what I was going through was not normal and I did not need to live like that. Cause I was like, oh, it's fine. Like other people have it so much worse than me. Everything's great. But yeah, I've had several therapists over the years. I had I had a lot of trouble sticking with one for a while. It's hard. Yeah. Therapy is like hard. I mean, yeah. So one of the things that really stood out to me that you said was something that my therapist kind of talked about was the sense of partnering with your mental disability. Mm -hmm. So like one of the issues that I've had is that sometimes I can have um, obsessive thought patterns. Like I can like go in on one thing and just not be able to stop thinking about that one thing. Mm -hmm. And so like the way that she explained it to me was that, you know, you can let this thing destroy you or you can let it, you know, make something positive, make something successful. So like mm -hmm. me, I'm a writer and I'm also like a filmmaker. So I decided to like just figure out ways to, to channel that the way that my mind works sometimes and like kind of use it in a more positive way. So like whether it's creating a new character in a film or just thinking about whatever I'm thinking about and thinking about it different ways until it creates something positive, you know, because the way that our minds work, sometimes we cannot control that. Most of the times we cannot control that. So it's very important for us to figure out ways to partner with it. And I really loved how like my own former therapist had told me that because after that, I feel like it, it helped me to take the power back. And sometimes I would just very, feel very like helpless to my mind because it would just be like, why am I still thinking about this? I should be over this by now, whatever mm -hmm. it was. Which is like not helpful thought pattern because then like you're still thinking about why you're not over it, right? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Because then what I've noticed is like it continues in cycles. And so it's like, it's mm -hmm. never gonna stop. This is the way that my mind is, and it's been like this for a long time. I never had a word for it, you know, such a thought pattern. But now that I have this word for it, now that I have this understanding, all I have to do is just continue to figure out ways to partner with it, figure out ways to take the power back from my mind. Because, mm -hmm. like, our minds is, like, 
it's us and it's and it's something else. It, it's I can't even explain it. It's just like you you know like you are in like side of your head, but then you like you're like something else is there. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. For the longest time, and basically until I started medication. I, f- I would describe to my therapist as I was at war with my brain. Like I felt like I was fighting it, which is a weird feeling because you're like, this is my brain. Like, why do I feel like this? That also, that language thing that you said, like putting, like just offhandedly being able to put language to it. That's something that's been so powerful for me personally. Absolutely. Until my most recent therapist diagnosed me with anxiety because she's like, you've been experiencing these symptoms for over a year. That's anxiety. And I was like, no, 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 no. Because like I initially went to therapy, my, my most recent therapist, I initially went because I was like, I was having panic attacks in public, which for me was very embarrassing. I felt like I was a nuisance. I was a burden because people like didn't know how to deal with me because I would be at band practice or like on a game day. And I just would like collapse to the ground, like, you know, like that whole thing. And it's very public. It's very obvious that like I'm not okay. And I was like, this is so embarrassing. I need I need to fix this. Something's wrong with me. I need to fix it. That should not have been the reason I went to parent therapy. It should have been because I'm miserable. So like, I don't have to be miserable. But like, for me, that was, I guess, what pushed me. And then when I went and she was like, it sounds like you might have general anxiety. I was like, no, like this cannot, no, that can't be. I don't want to be, I don't want to be that kind of person. Like, I don't, I think I just, I've been fine my whole life. I just have a problem and I need to, I need you to fix it. I need you to be my doctor and fix this problem. And she's like, Let's take a look. And so since then, I've like become more comfortable with the fact that like, as I said, being more comfortable in my brain and the body that I was given. And I'm going to be completely honest. This podcast came from exactly the thing you were talking about of like taking that energy and putting it towards something productive. I was going through a really hard time. I was having just like difficult emotional things going on in my life. And I was like, you know what? It's time to get this podcast up and rolling because we've been talking about it for a couple months and I just got to do it. So I literally, I have my sketches here. I just started <laughs> sketching like logo ideas and like I started putting together a website and I like got a Spotify account and an email in like the span of like four days. I had like done a ridiculous amount of stuff and I was on for like four days and then I crashed, of course, because that's how it worked. Like eventually Burn your out. brain burns out, right? And that, out. <laughs> that's what happens to me. Yeah, I think it's just so powerful to be able to identify and also to be able to explain to people like what your needs are and why you're acting a certain way, especially if I'm like, if I'm feeling really good, um, you know, I'm doing lots of things, I'm being great, everything's fine during the semester. All of a sudden semester's over, I have free time. Let's make plans with friends. (laughs) And then the crash happens, of course, right? Because of that constant on. And then people are like, well, what do you mean you have to cancel plans? Like, why? I think I understand. What are you doing? I'm like, I just, I can't get out of bed right now. Like I'm curled over on the floor. like for me i feel like i've been on the other end so like dealing with certain things that i have and then dealing with certain things that other people have what i've noticed about myself is that a lot of times i take things personal instead of like realizing that people are dealing with things like when people cancel on me i take it personal i'm like oh okay you hate me that's, that's yeah. they hate me they hate me they never want to talk hatred to me again. hatred mm-hmm. but like then i have to realize like I often sit there and I'm just like, what could be so terrible that they just can't text me and let me know, you know, that they need to cancel plans. And like, there is like a certain balance between that because there are some people that literally just do not have respect for people. And, oh, absolutely. And that's a completely different thing. There are some other people that are struggling with things that are just very difficult. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of times we we get so wrapped up in like our own selves and what we're struggling with and we don't realize people's struggles are going to look completely different than ours 
And um, yes, like I just like that's one of the things like I've just noticed like I've always just taken things personal. I'm just like I have to kind of like dial back because one of the things for me is like I don't like dealing in extremities. Like I like dealing in a good balance. And like, you know, you can't you have to like scale back and say, let me look at this situation. Let me evaluate it in a way that is level headed. Let me not be too much in my own head and let me not be too much in their head either. Let me look at yeah. this situation objectively, mm-hmm. you know, like, and you can set boundaries around. They're like, hmm, okay, I'm going to give this person this space about this amount of time, you know, see if they're going to reach back out. I'm going to check on them. But then at some point, you know, you have to be like, okay, there's a certain like respect. you know. If yeah, you absolutely. Like, I mean, if a friendship is becoming imbalanced, that's where I think, the language is so important because like when you're able to describe to someone you know what you're going and obviously you never like you never have to tell someone what you're going through especially when it comes to disability people sometimes i think feel like they have a right to know what's going on with you and like they don't but i think the language can be useful if you do want to let people know what's going on just to be like hey like you know this is a part of who i am when sometimes when i make plans ahead of time i'm like hey just to let you know often like this is who i am this is my my lived experience, right? And sometimes when I make plans, I have to cancel them, especially during these times of year. So I would love to still make plans with you, but I like I try to let people know ahead of time. For me, I think that's been helpful because I think it is important to respect your friend's time, like especially like when you have when you have someone who's never texting back or like you're always texting them. Like I have people like that, and I'm like, oh, I, I, I don't have to deal with that. Like, absolutely, you absolutely don't have to. So I think there's a balance between being understanding of people's experiences and knowing that you don't. You don't have you to. You can set your own boundaries. You, exactly. And you deserve the boundaries too. Yeah. And especially Absolutely. especially when you're dealing with multiple people who are dealing with different things, right? It's different when it's like maybe someone who's like got their shit together, which I don't even know if anybody does at this point. You can be but, 90 years old. Yeah. You're no. not going to have your shit together. Oh, no. No. Every, life is just crazy. I think that's one of the craziest things about growing like up is that you realize that life is just insane. Like, <laughs> like It is. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you're like, well guess i gotta deal with this now like yeah my mom my mom always says that life is constant and unpredictable and i think that like that is such a true statement because Mm -hmm. you know life throws so many things at you and it's really about perspective it's about the way that you know you take the unpredictability and the way that you take the unexpected because you know you can let life tear you down because there are so many people who have so many issues and then, you know, they, you could never tell by the way that they act, by the way that they, you know, handle situations that they're going yeah. through. So it's all about like the way that we, you know, handle situations and what we're going through. Because life is, nobody's ever gonna have their life together. Nobody's ever going to completely have everything perfect the way they want it to be. Yeah. But within that, I think there is some important to understand that like when people are living with say mental illness or a disability, they might have, like different needs than like somebody else who's just like, oh, I don't have my shit together, right? Who maybe is able-bodied or is neurotypical. So I want to ask you, how do mm-hmm. you define anxiety? Like anxiety? for yourself, yeah. Uh, <laughs> like what does it look like for what you? What does it look like for me? Yeah. It looks like being miserable. <laughs> it looks like being sick. It oh, looks wow. like not being able to get out of bed. It looks like really bad hormone cycles. So like for me, it specifically will like mess with my hormones which like change makes my period irregular like the re- the way that i can tell it's because my period is irregular mm-hmm. um and it it isn't irregular when i'm not anxious or like when i'm having maybe like a good spell i guess mm-hmm. and it like 
you know, affects my mood and things like that. So it's like almost like cyclical and like my gut obviously is messed up, um, which is also related to like holding tension in your gut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> that's what I go to therapy for. Um, But so for me, like, that's the anxiety life that I live right now. And I also take medication for it, which, like, I don't know how bad it would be if I wasn't on meds. Like, I guess that's also something I think about. But yeah, I don't know. I definitely like before I was experiencing these, like, maybe more intense symptoms related to whatever it's related to. It was definitely just a I the way I used to describe it in high school when I didn't necessarily have the language to describe it as anxiety was um a fear of being underprepared. Mm. So I people would ask me like what's, you know, like people like when you're just talking about fears and stuff or like people used to be very jealous of me because I would always have like really great presentations or like my grades are really high and people would be jealous, especially in the art department, it was really hard because like instead of like seeing each other's work being good and like lifting each other up and being like that's so cool like people were very jealous and like the way Mm. they would talk to me would be like oh you're so good i hate you and i'm like you oh thanks like (laughs) i hate you too question mark like (laughs) i don't really know how to respond to that so like that would make me feel bad wow and so like i would i try to like understand myself like why do i work so hard at things Mm -hmm. and i realized a lot of it was driven from this concept that i created called a fear of underpreparedness where i was so scared that i would show up at something and not have prepared well enough and so then i wouldn't do so i'd say like i don't have a fear of failure because i don't mind failing at things but I do mind when I feel like I could have done more. Mm, it's like I know I, yeah. like if I had just like I didn't want to be in a position where I would say if I had just done X, then this wouldn't have happened. So I would, you know, like work ridiculously hard and drive myself wild and over different things that I did, which like made me really successful. And that was really great, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Here I am. Honors college kid. Yeah. <laughs> I think everybody in the honors college has like. An un- either undiagnosed or diagnosed anxiety disorder because like that could be the true. amount of stuff that those people do and like you're rewarded for it too which is like you're rewarded with good grades you're rewarded with praise from people for like being so good or like they'll be like oh i wish i had so many of you in my class and like that makes you feel so good about yourself yeah so i don't know i think there's a wide range of anxiety because i mean medical people and psychiatrists define like anxiety as like having the symptoms of anxiety for like over one year so or like generalized anxiety disorder Hmm. is related to how the length of time that you experience certain symptoms so like a lot everybody in their everyday life is going to at some point be anxious about something because life is crazy and like just throws things at you and it makes sense that you would get sweaty palms or you would have like the fight flight or freeze reaction Um, But when you're having it all the time, nonstop for like a really long period of time, that's when they start categorizing it as a disorder. So that was a really long winded way of saying like there's definitely anxiety itself can even be something that's not necessarily a mental illness, but it's just like a part of everyday life. And then like most things, you know, when not taken in moderation becomes like excessive and impacts your daily life and your health. Yeah. Um, For me, like my physical health. But I think that we all have, like, degrees of, like, being in situations where we can be temporarily disabled by something, which Mm -hmm. is why, like, I really want to, like, ask you, like, do you believe that everyone can technically be disabled in certain situations? Because for the thing Mm -hmm. with anxiety, everyone experiences anxiety, like you were saying, but, like, you know, you're saying, but, like, 
um, medical professionals, they would diagnose you if it's happening for a prolonged period of time. Mm -hmm. But everyone experiences like some sense of anxiety. Like for me, the kind that I experience is in social settings. Like social anxiety mm -hmm. is big for me. Like there have been situations where I've been in like social settings and it would just be very overwhelming for me. Mm -hmm. And it's because like, it's interesting because I would consider myself to be an extroverted introvert. Like mm -hmm. I, I, like to be by myself um but i love being around other people like i get my energy people i yeah, get my energy from myself i get my energy okay. from myself but when i'm with other people i can sometimes feel energized but it also depends like most of the times when i'm in like large crowds it's very draining and it's very yeah. like ugh. i was thinking about temporary disablement the other day when i got covid because I was like physically knocked out from illness. Mm -hmm. And like I was using my drum major mace as a cane to like walk around because like I was like my muscles ached so bad like I couldn't move. And I thought when walking up like the Prinker Drive, um, <laughs> I was like, wow, <laughs> like some people, you know, have to do this every day and they don't have like as many spoons as I do. And it just like made me like think about that. Yeah, And so I was, I don't know, like it was one of those things where it made me think about temporary disablement and like what role I guess that plays in empathy, but also a sense of like maybe the opposite. So like you, you might think that if somebody experiences something like temporary disablement, for example, like let's say they break their leg and so they use a wheelchair to get around for like a, a month or two or like crutches or something like that. Like they temporarily experience what other people experience for their lifetime. Yeah, for a lifetime, exactly. So I guess theoretically it could be a way that people can then like empathize with people who maybe do have to experience that every day. But at the same time, do you think that it could maybe take away from a disabled person's experience? So in the sense like just in the sense that somebody could think they understand what it's like to be disabled, but they maybe don't actually because they like some people, like people think casts are like cool. So like they'll sign their casts oh, yeah, or whatever like and stuff are like that. Cool yeah, it, like, honestly, it's like the yeah. same. It's kind of that same thing you were talking about, like glasses being cute, but like a hearing aid, people are like, "What's that?" Like it's with ugly. a cast, like people are like, "Oh, that's so cute," but like with a um, prosthetic, people are like, "Oh, like that's so weird." Like, so oh, you're a freak. All these different. Yeah, like, I don't know. Like, what do you th things. do? You think that maybe it's both? Maybe there is a sense of empathy, but also can cause some issues. So my issue is that some people feel like you have to experience something in order to understand it. And mm -hmm. the problem is we as human beings, like we're all alone in our brains and in our own experiences. We're all alone in that. And we're sharing this like, outward experience with each other as human beings. Mm -hmm. So the reason why, like we were talking about how like sometimes it feels like, you know, your brain is just like you, you're fighting this like, invisible war inside your head. Yeah. And so all these other parts of your experience, like, they're going to be specific to you. Even if you, even within the disabled community, we're not going to have the same experience as another person in that same community. Definitely. And then even closer within like specific sets of um, like, oh, for people who are hard of hearing, we're not all going to have the same experience. And mm -hmm. so I think as people outside of ourselves, we have to be able to understand people without feeling like it's only going to be valid if I can like 
know what they mean by like being inside their body or like walking in their shoes you should have to do that it mm -hmm. should be a, a conversation where you can be like what are you going through what do you need how do you feel you know like having mm -hmm. a just continuous rhetoric of like understanding and it shouldn't have to be placed around this sense of like oh well i've been in your shoes i think that's also like a lot of times mm -hmm. like people people think that that's like a compliment or like it's like comforting i don't necessarily i don't need you to be in my shoes just just yeah. validate what i'm saying to you understand what i'm saying to you you know what i mean definitely that really that makes me think about my roommate who she was taking a class for her disability studies minor which i have my own opinions on the umd disability studies minor that we'll go into maybe another day but she's taking one of the classes um in the hearing and speech department and one of the assignments that the professor had them do was like role play. A yeah, I know you're making I'm that face. So yeah, hard right now. <laughs> that's the exact face that she said that everyone who she told about it made. But they did role play where one person was like the caretaker and the other person was a stroke patient, and they were like supposed to like act out like what it's like to be a stroke patient or like to have communication barriers. That's giving me a stroke right now. I'm literally <laughs> very sad about that. Yeah. And so she she was very uncomfortable by that, especially because she has loved ones who experience strokes and like it, it just made her really uncomfortable. And so she like worked up the guts to email the professor about it and was like, hey, like I don't, you know, I don't, I didn't, you know, feel good about this, this activity that we did yeah and the professor you know responded and said i'm sorry you felt that way i'll take your comments into consideration for future just never do that again well Absolutely. and so like, exactly right like just coming from a like a disability studies background like we've talked about those kinds of empathy building exercises like you you can read like countless articles by disability justice scholars about how they don't actually work and it doesn't it more just like creates this weird like fetishization of disability and um, performative i'm like yeah like, like it's it's like this idea that like oh we we operate in this very specific way because what, what are you going to do in role playing you're going to act out these stereotypical things that are not like even if they're true, it's going to be insulting because like that is your whole portrayal of, of you know, us as disabled people that, you know, we're just this costume to put on and then mm -hmm. you can take it off. Like yeah. this is what we act like. And then as soon as I'm done with that, like I'm not doing it anymore. Like it's mm -hmm. different if you're an actor or an actress and you're playing the role and you're doing it in a respectful way. If you are yeah. an able-bodied person. Or you but, have like a different disability than what you're portraying. Exactly. But like in that setting specifically, it, it being an educational setting, I think that it lacks like the the foundation to truly be like an educational like thing because it, it, there's no founding in that. Like, yeah, because you're going off of stereotypes. Yeah, and that was that was basically what she said to her professor in the email was that like she felt like it. Yeah, like people would just play off like stereotypically what they think a stroke patient would say and not like actually what it's like. But something that was interesting was that she reached out to one of her STEM friends about it because she has a lot of like online friends. And her friend was kind of like, well, we do stuff like that all the time. Like, it's not a big deal. Why are you like she was kind of like, you're kind of making a big deal out of nothing. And so I think it's just become so normalized in the scientific community to be like, well, as a scientist, you need to understand the people that you're studying. And so the best way to do that is to like pretend to be them. Which is like, like it, it's just true. That's like what people do. Like you'll see at like disability fairs or whatever. I'm making air quotes and you can't see that because it's a podcast. But they'll do like, you know, like try what try out what it's like to be in a wheelchair. And like they'll have like, it's basically like make it like a spectacle and event and sort of things like that. 
it's like placing us under this like microscope like yeah like we're like experiment experiments or like something it's just very cringy and it's just very it's disturbing it also defines the disabled experience by your disability because I, i mean i know a lot of people who are disabled you know really identify with their disability and it's a big part of who they are but for other people like it's just you know it's i mean and for everyone it's just one aspect of your identity right like i wouldn't want anyone to think that i'm just the anxious person who like has right right like i you know i'm well-rounded theoretically human being (laughs) i think it's about like what we were talking about before the intersectionality of things and it's just like we as human beings get to decide what's important to us in our identities and i think a lot of times like when we're in certain spaces people will play up other parts of our identity that they think is more important and then it disrespects who we have built ourselves to be because there are some people who are disabled who won't identify that way but then yeah. it's like how do we get to say that you need to do it you need to do it like we have to respect people for how they want to self-identify in in certain things of like who they are and like attributes of themselves like we can't force people to be in spaces that they're uncomfortable in yeah absolutely so i think that's definitely something you know at least i hope that our umd science department can think about and really look at you know like the work and the writings of disability justice scholars especially for something that's you know considered part of the disability studies program at umd or the disability studies minor oh i just that minor drives me crazy because there's no there are no disability justice classes in that minor so they don't actually have it's not like actually a disability studies program so like if you were to go to like any other university disability studies you know reads the works of disability justice activists and like looks at the history of disability but like these are just like a conglomeration of like classes that already exist at the university that like mention disability and it's like so like it'll be like you know wheelchair sports or something and like that'll be the class and so like it'll count towards this freaking disability studies minor i know and it's in the education department too which like doesn't make sense so then it like brings in that whole like special education issue with like segregation in schools of disabled kids which is like a whole separate topic but basically that that whole department i think needs to be reworked yeah my opinion so when i want to say like is everyone technically disabled when I'm saying that? I'm yeah. meaning like, does everyone have a specific part of their like human experience that is not the same as most people? And I feel mm-hmm. like I feel like the way that we can look at that doesn't necessarily have to be so specific in the sense that like, oh, um, this is a disability versus this is a disabling um situation. I mean, and obviously, yeah. obviously that's not being like, oh, like everybody's just able but it's just mm-hmm. like being able to like look outside of ourselves and say hmm is this person's experience somehow unfair to them in the sense that like it would be you know for people who do have disabilities does that make sense or does like, yeah absolutely I, I think that's a really interesting and like unanswerable question like it's something that you can discuss round in circles like over and over again and there's never like maybe one true answer but that doesn't mean it's not worth talking about especially it really makes me think of like things such as like when you're looking if you're like kind of delving into mental illness and like disorders and things like that like a large portion of the population especially of women experience eating disorders or disordered eating at some point in their life whether it's for a short period of time or like a prolonged period of time you know that illness itself is like very serious and very harmful and it you know affects a really large portion of women because it's you know it's acceptable in society to like just talk about dieting and uh, you know, everybody like wants to be like, oh yeah, I skipped breakfast this morning, like, 
or oh yeah. i need to lose the weight or like you know the way that we are right now the way that our society is it accepts this kind of behavior and encourages disordered eating habits and, and rewards them kind of similar to what i was saying about anxiety being rewarded by being productive from your anxiety and so it, it makes me you know really think of like can you still be maybe like in community with each other without maybe yeah. undermining the different experiences that different types of disabilities and mental illnesses and things like that face? Because I was also thinking about something you said about the um, eating disorders and then like just thinking about size and weight and these things like that. Yeah. It kind of makes me think about this other thing that I wanted to talk about in the sense of like how fat phobia is like a big thing and a big issue in a lot of communities and like ableism and fat phobia both have this like spectacle of like picking apart the human body like oh this yeah. body is beautiful this body isn't yeah it's like policing people's bodies of like exactly. if you're not sort of meeting this this golden standard of what the human body is supposed to be capable of and what it's supposed to look like and how you're supposed to be you know moving through space and how you're supposed to feel about your body because a lot of people, a lot of especially really big corporations, you know, profit off of people not feeling good about their bodies because then they're more likely to purchase the products to make their bodies fit this mold or this standard. So Absolutely. it definitely overlaps. And there's, there's actually a whole class on that sort of concept. It's called Bodies in Contention. And it's all about different bodies and how they are viewed and policed and talked about and the rhetoric around those different bodies. And then, like, I've recently started taking this class about um, deviance and uh, mm -hmm. the sociological study of deviance. And essentially yeah. what deviance really is. I and love the social <laughs> Exactly. Such so, an like, interesting concept. So, like, the, the sociological definition isn't necessarily this idea of something is wrong. And I think that's, like, this conflation with, like, deviance with something that's wrong. And it's more about... Um, actions behaviors or um cognitive um beliefs and thought processes that yeah. are demonized and like looked uh, like frowned upon and like yeah. and so if you think about it a lot of disabled people have been treated like we are you know deviant or in a deviant sense in the sense that people look at us as like this spectacle is like oh what what is wrong with you like all these different like negativity things to say about you know people who are disabled you know what i mean yeah absolutely and I think that's where maybe a line can be drawn between different, I guess, impairments or limitations that people have and how they're viewed in society. Like like you mentioned about glasses and like, you know, could you consider yourself disabled if you have to wear glasses to see? I think a lot of people who wear glasses or contacts don't, you know, face the same ridiculement that someone who needs a wheelchair to walk or a hearing aid to hear or you know, even needs somebody, needs a service dog in class with them to comfort them because they have PTSD or I don't know, like a whole other thing. Like basically all these things that I'm listing, I think if any of our listeners can imagine that like if you saw that in public, you would feel differently about that person than you would with someone who just you see wearing glasses because it's just maybe so common or even so accepted. So like maybe I wonder if we can use that that concept of how glasses are so accepted to start, you know, accepting other disabilities and other things and start to maybe make it so that they're not so different and people can just be accepting that like, okay, that person needs their glasses to see. So like I shouldn't take their glasses away for them from them or like, you know, if they like, hey, I need my glasses, like can somebody help me find them? It's the same thing as if somebody was like, hey, like I can't find you know, my hearing aid, like, can somebody help me, like, search the floor for them, you know, exactly. the same thing. 
and even like how you were saying like how common it is for people to wear glasses and not even consider themselves in that kind of light you know like that's a commonality of like the disabling experience of being a human sometimes that i was talking about like sometimes being human and then like experiencing certain issues and certain predicaments in our life can be disabling things Mm -hmm. and then there are some human beings who have you know an extreme disabling thing and then there's like others who have disabling things but it may not be to the same extent as other people absolutely that's like one of the things like if we think about the commonality i think that that can garner some empathy but then again like i said we have to be careful about the the idea of needing to relate to someone to understand them or to respect their human experience so absolutely i think something that's also interesting about that is i feel like you hear all the time people who say oh i just don't feel like wearing my glasses or like i don't like the way they look so like haha i can't see right now and people are like okay whatever i feel like people who are hard of hearing or deaf and choose not to use cochlear implants often face a lot of pressure from like the medical community and even just people in general they're like what do you mean you don't want to wear them like what do you mean you want me to learn sign language whereas like when somebody's just like forgets their glasses at home or like chooses to not wear their glasses they're like okay yeah like you can go sit up at the front of the class you know that's okay or people see it as just like okay like let me help you out like i'll find this for you or whatever that dichotomy of the way those two different impairments are treated when you think about people who are hard of hearing and mm-hmm. you think about people who are are deaf there are a lot of health implications that are related to it and then like when you think about people who are blind or vision impaired, there might not be the same amount of like health uh, implications. So what, really? for, for instance, for me, I am hard of hearing and it came from me having a kidney disease that also affected my eyesight as well. But the main thing that it affected the most was my hearing. Okay. And so developing speech, yeah. if you are hard of hearing or deaf, you are going to have a difficulty developing your speech depending on when it hearing loss begins. So for me, I was able, I was lucky and blessed enough to be able to have formed my speech patterns before I started to lose my hearing. I think that that reminded me of what I was saying about people choosing to live their life how they want to live it. Like for example, like people choosing to wear glasses as opposed to contacts. Like if I chose to wear contacts, people wouldn't necessarily know that I, you know, can't see. Like, for example, like I didn't know that you were vision impaired when I met you or at all because you don't wear glasses, can't see your contacts, right? Even, even most so, people don't know that I'm hard of hearing because they don't see my yeah, hearing and I don't at first. See, exactly. So like I wouldn't know that unless you shared that information with me. Uh, but for me, like I personally choose to wear glasses because I like the way they look on me. I prefer to live my life that way. For me, they're a part of my identity because I like them. I think they look cute. And I don't know, I like that part of me. I actually also really like being able to take them off so easily because I kind of like the way the world looks when I don't have my glasses on. Like like, like art. Yeah, exactly. Like almost yeah. like an artist. Like if I don't feel like seeing things or like it honestly helps me sometimes like when I take off my glasses, like I can really focus on the shadows and highlights That's of where something is because I'm not focusing on the details, right? But so like if I, you know, when I, if I choose to wear glasses as opposed to choosing to wear contacts, nobody really questions it. Like with the mask, they're like, oh, that must be so complicated to like have to wear your glasses with a mask. And I'm like, yeah, it is. It's actually really kind of annoying. But like, you know, it's whatever. Like it, it's my choice. And no yeah. one really questions it or like thinks twice about it. But when somebody chooses 
to want to speak in sign language or not wear their cochlear implant. And that causes somebody discomfort or causes them to feel like that person's not like trying to like fit in with what's considered normal or like what should be aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, aesthetically pleasing. Exactly. Like that. It like oh like why are, like why are you moving your hands around? Like it's not. They don't see that as fitting in. Whereas with like glasses, like nobody really cares if you decided not to get contacts. You're like oh maybe it was just too expensive. I haven't learned sign language, mm-hmm. and it's because like I haven't personally had the need to. It's not that I don't respect it, and not that I don't think yeah. it's important. You know, it's just I don't haven't had a personal use for it. I would uh-huh. love to learn it at some point. Why do you want to learn sign language? There's two things. There is a possibility that at some point in my life, I might not be able to hear at all. And I pray to God that that does not happen. I hope that it doesn't. Um, So that's one part of that. Another part, being hard of hearing is uh, a big part of who I am. And it is like, I enjoy being a part of the culture. When I was younger adult, like I think when I was like still like 18 or 19, I had joined like a forum with a lot of other people who were in the heart of hearing community. I was like, oh, I wish that I had this a long time ago. Cause like, yeah. it was just like, and I just hate that I wasn't as involved as I should have been. And so like having that, that ability to communicate with this other part of my community mm-hmm. that especially doesn't always see me as a part of that community. I feel like that would bridge the gap for me personally. Yeah. That's really cool. And I think that makes a lot of sense. I guess because you were talking a lot earlier about maybe like a pressure that you felt to learn sign language. But maybe, you know, that pressure also comes from a desire to want to be a part of your community. This isn't the same, obviously. But it kind of reminds me of some of the experiences that I've had as a bisexual woman in a heterosexual relationship Mm. where sometimes I feel a little bit ostracized from the community just in a sense of, you know, I, I do experience a lot of privilege from the fact that I can, I could completely hide the fact that I'm gay from the world if I wanted to. And one time I, before I was 21, I went to an 18 plus gay bar because they were having like a drag show night. And I was so excited for it. Like I started watching RuPaul's Drag Race like two weeks ahead of time to like prepare for it because I was like, (laughs) I want to go. I want to be a part of gay culture. And I Uh brought my boyfriend and I went and I got kicked out because they were like, you can't be in here. And I was like, well, I'm over 18. They're like, well, you're not 21. So like you can't be in here. And I was like, well, it's at 18 plus. And he's like, you need to leave. Wow. So we know what it really was about. And like. And that's why I was like. Yeah. And I felt like. Maybe because I was with my boyfriend who, like, I was holding his hand because, like, you know. Where... You love him. Yeah, I love – exactly. I love him and I he's a big part of my life and, like, him being a man does not change my queerness. Your queerness, exactly. exactly. Like, even I for gay men. Ostrac- yeah. Like, even – I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. But, like, yeah. the same concept, like, even for a gay man who has a crush on a woman or something does not mm-hmm. take away your queerness. Like, th- yeah. there's, like – I know bi men face that a lot. Exactly. And just, like – people trying to like police your your everything like your yeah. sexuality your everything so sometimes i do wonder if the way that i dress or the way that i express myself is like out of this pressure to want to be a part of the community but at the same time like it's also like it's almost me like finding a balance of like am i just feeling pressure to like dress a certain way or like act a certain way because i want people to know that i'm queer or do i dress a certain way because i am queer and like it's a part of who i am and it makes me feel really good about myself does it make um, you comfortable like dressing that way yeah yeah exactly well, then, yeah. and that's okay and so that's totally fine but because we face these different pressures you know from the community spaces that we like maybe so 
desperately want to be a part of and want to feel accepted in, mm -hmm. I think it can maybe undermine some things of like, is this a part of my identity or am I just trying to fit in? You know? Yeah. So there was something else I wanted to talk about how we were talking about, um, yeah. you know, neurotypical, all these different things. So I think one of the things about, you know, being either disabled and abled and all these different things is just the idea of a default. So what I mean by that is like, okay. There is all these like standardized ways to uh, measure intelligence, to measure this and this and that. And so for me, essentially, what I believe is that, for instance, when people say, oh, someone is stupid. That is an incorrect statement, because the thing that I want to make clear is that everybody's brain works. It just works differently. Mm -hmm. So that's my thing, like everybody's bodies work. They just work differently. So when people, yeah. you know, think of these, you know, like. Sometimes people think of, you know, disabled people as broken or all these different things. No, they're not broken. We are whole. Mm -hmm. We just have something different about us that we have to, you know, use certain tools to maneuver through life. Yeah. But we're we're whole people. We're not broken. We, you know, there's nothing wrong with us. We do have a disability, but there's nothing wrong with us. So next week we're gonna have Emily joining us. She was the co-founder of DICE. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll be back in two weeks. Bye. <laughs> that was awesome.